Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Today, we are going to, as we always, celebrate you and learn how to thrive in our lives and on our business. And we're going to talk about showing up powerfully to our potential clients. What is the perception? What is our powerful client perception of our company. Uh, do we even know how to do that? Do we know how to make it so that the clients are wowed from the very first moment they think about us? They know, uh, you know, what we are, they think about what we are, and they think about us based on the way that we want them to think about us. Marketing is so powerful when it's done right and so dangerous when it's just left to its own desserts and we really want to talk about how we can show up powerfully how we can have a powerful client perception of our company in everything that we do so that we can maybe even sometime get to the place where when somebody reaches for a facial tissue they reach for a Kleenex you know when you love to have the brand for your company and the market message behind it have your company be what people think of when they think of that whole entire product category you know like I'll have a coke which universally means you're going to have some kind of soda that's what I call an extremely powerful client perspective or perception but uh, you know, today we want to talk about how you at whatever level you're at can have a powerful client perception of your company as well so that you can show up in your space you can thrive in all that you do you can make the difference that only you can make as you just simply be the best you that you can be while it's called today I want that for each of you, and I'm so excited to bring these guests to you so that we can have a powerful client perception in all that we do as we reach towards the goal of living as thriving entrepreneurs. So with that said, let's jump right into our very first guest. Join me in welcoming Amy Anderson. Hey, Amy, how are you doing today? I'm great, Steve. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you here with us. Tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Oh, my goodness. Well, I am uh, the CEO and, and co-founder of a company called Wild Coffee Marketing. Um, and I am also the mother. I call them two teenage dragons. But I have um, two boys, and I've been a single parent building a company in, in a time that's been um, a little sort of challenging for us all. And I, I live to tell the tale about it. We can segue the whole show into single parenting of teens. Um, <laughs> I know that's not what you usually do in your daily life, but that would be a fun one too. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So you've worked for companies like Calvin Klein, 17, uh, New York Times Digital, things like that um, as a marketing representative. What was maybe your most fun experience between all of that, including the business you run now? Oh, you know what that comes to mind? I don't know why this popped right into my head. It's when Fox, the network launched and they got NFL football. For some reason, when I was at Calvin Klein buying broadcast um, on behalf of all of the fragrances, that was such a sort of a momentous time in broadcast, right? We had fewer fragmentations with cable stations. So I'm dating myself now. Um, there was no streaming and it was such a big deal to be part of this sort of sports moment um, and growth. And I was buying a lot of television back then. Um, and I really loved it, right? We've all sort of transitioned a lot of what the work that we do into digital. Um, but back then, broadcast upfronts with football were a big deal to me. Oh, that's so cool. Um, and I'm sure now when you tell your sons about it, they're not impressed at all. Absolutely not. They're like, what? Is that on Twitch? 
you know, or do they have a discord server? So yes, no, that's, um, they're not impressed, but you know, what's actually interesting. Um, I, you know, we're an American family and American football living in Miami for 17 years, you know, there's often a reference to American football and football, which is soccer. And, uh, I have a son who is living in Orlando and is on a pro path, um, Academy with Orlando city. So it's amazing how sort of, I was raised with American football and now it is a lot of soccer all the time with one of them. Mm, that's a lot of fun. So when it comes to marketing, um, you know, Take all the years you've done it and tell us everything you know about marketing in the next two minutes. Um, no, seriously, though, what is like one of the biggest things you wish people knew about marketing? That you should not do anything unless you have a strategy, right? And people think they have a strategy because they have a plan, but you really have to look and say, is, is that plan filled with tactics of actually distinct marketing activities that you'll do, but what is the strategy behind it? Who is your customer? And what do you want to say to them? What are their pain points and what are you solving? We find a lot of people in a lot of companies we work with will just sort of dive into doing a lot of things and be very sort of busy, but it ends up being fragmented and not built on a very sort of core strategy that in today's market, I think you have to revisit it every six months every eight months because things are shifting so fast. So it's really putting tactics before strategy. Mm. Makes so much sense. So let's start with even just step one of that because until you know who you're talking to, you can't even figure out what strategy to do for them. How do you help a person define who their target audience is? Well, that's a really good question. So that's your target persona. And I think that your persona or sort of a characterization. And there should be, everybody should look at like two or three target personas because um, you know, not all of your customers, they're not homogenous, right? They have different attributes, different things they care about. What we often do when we go into a new consulting engagement is to interview three or four of our clients' ideal customers. And who's an ideal customer, right? This is someone who has done repeat business with you. And more than that, they're likely to refer you to somebody else. So, and oftentimes what a marketer or a company thinks that a person or a customer cares about is not actually what they care about, right? We had an example one time, it was a large development firm that had some disparate teams and they thought it was the quality of their craftsmanship, right? Sort of the creativity they put into it, the quality of materials and workmanship. When you go and interview their clients, they found that the fact that their teams arrived on time and kept impeccable work sites were actually why they chose to do business with them again and again. So it's not always what you think it is, but to go and interview three or four of your best ones and ask them what's important to you about us. Why do you choose to do business with us? You'll actually glean a lot of information from that. Wow. So the key, without oversimplifying all the things I know you do with that, the key is communication. Like we should still talk to people. Can't we just text them? <laughs> Could you imagine? What about a face-to-face -face conversation? Even more so. Yes. It's really, you know, having interviews and understanding why people choose to do business with you. What are you solving for them? right? Are you selling them a product? Yes. But ultimately you're solving a, for a pain point. And, and those can be maybe eight to 10 of those. And then you can start to understand, you know, what are their attitudes? What are their demographics? Where do you find them? And then you can speak to what you do and the benefits you provide instead of overselling, right? We have, um, we work with a major boat manufacturer. They're the largest manufacturer of boats under 30 feet in the U S and they wanted to transition into a lifestyle brand. And the first thing that they said, we said was stop selling boats, right? You're not selling boats. You're selling the experience that people have when they're on the water. And it's a different sort of mindset. And then you can go find them what their attitudes are. And we did all of that persona work, but it's really, you're sort of selling the experience or the benefits or the pain point that's solved for not just products. That is such a great question. So, and a person should just work with you. That's the easy solution. But <laughs> for people who are just listening today and they'd like to get started on that, how do you even find that really great question 
to help you determine what business are you really in? Well, I mean, when you're talking to ideal customers, right? I think it's asking the why. Why did you choose us? What did we solve? And how did we do that, right? I mean, I think when when there's so much information and there's so much sort of movement in these markets, if you really break down the who, what, where, when, why, and just take a moment and take a step back and say, you know, who are these ideal customers? Why did they choose us? How did we solve their pain point? What did they buy? And then you can start to develop a couple patterns there and, and really sort of speak to what they care about. And I, and I think one of the, as marketers and um, as business people coming out of the, that pandemic that shouldn't be mentioned, right, <laughs> is that, um, you know, we all came out with sort of maybe a stripped down uh, acceptance of being sold, right? That super glossy marketing materials and overselling and hyperbole. And, you know, it's just, we're, we're just a little bit, I think, more real and transparent, you know, and, and as a marketer, I, I have this solution and does it solve a problem for you? Um, you said that word, and I'd love to hear you talk more about it because, you know, back in the day when you were selling ads or buying ads from Fox, you know, for the different pure few manufacturers, you had to do that awful evil world called selling. Um, how do you help people get past that all too common fear of selling that everybody seems to be okay with these days? Well, I think just like you and I are having a conversation now, I think that you know, connection is really important and conversation is important. Um, I heard from a, actually a friend in my book club um, when I was over in Miami recently, well, during the pandemic, that they were asked as a pharmaceutical sales rep to stop selling. And the mandate was towards the tail end when people could actually be in person together was, can you just connect with physicians and their staffs? because that's all that people are looking for right now. They don't want to be sold. Everyone's sort of coming out of a situation that they're trying to get their bearings. And I think that for us too, that sort of lives on. Um, people want to connect. They want to have conversation about what a need is and how you might be able to fulfill that need. Um, we recently had a company come to us from Europe. They had a very sort of defined strategy. We weren't a completely aligned on that strategy given the realities of this market and the dynamics of the United States market. And their budget was in a place that maybe it wasn't the best fit for us because we work with sort of later stage startups. So rather than saying, no, this is not something we can help you with, we actually went and gave them three referrals from partners that we thought would be good fits and other companies that we know about, right? So he said, I can't believe this is what you did for us. And I said, well, if I can't solve it for you, I'm going to still solve it in a different way. So it's not working with us, but here are some places you can go and we think they might be able to help you. I would like to think that that is the spirit of sort of selling in the current environment. Mm, I love that. So the name of your company is Wild Coffee Marketing. Uh, without taking too long, you know, because I bet you it's a really fun, long story, but how did you come up with that name? I wish it were a fun, long story. I was writing a business plan for a consulting firm because I had been on the client side of marketing for many years. And I felt that there is a need for client side marketers to consult out in, in the world. And there, there was a plant, a native plant growing outside my window in Miami, and it was wild coffee. And this plant, um, I used to have to cut it back with a machete. Um, it was vibrant. It grew a lot. It was beautiful to look at. It's not the coffee. It's not Arabica that we drink, uh, but it's a different sort of native white bean. And I just thought it was beautiful and vibrant and growing all the time. And that's what we named the, co the company after. See, that's a great story. It might not have been long, but that was a great story. That's cool. <laughs> And it has some stopping power, right? In this world, um, you know, a lot of names are taken, Steve, right? So we name companies, we name products. And when you go and do those trademark, the spot searches, you'd be surprised how little there is available. So, you know, what, how, do you, how do you name a company or a service or a product in this world where there's a lot of clutter? So I, I, the good thing is, is you can go a little outside the box, you know? On the other side to that, how important is it for you to, for a company to come up with 
the most amazingly unique name that no one else has ever thought of. Well, it's a process, I have to tell you. And I think you have to go down a couple of routes, right? My least favorite type of naming is descriptive, right? Because it's not memorable. So we had a client who wanted to call a pricing engine sure quote, right? Um, and it describes what the pricing engine did. It gave you a sure quote. Um, but you have to really think like, is that memorable? Um, brand names end up, or descriptive brand names end up costing you a lot more money because you, they're not memorable. So you have to push them harder. And then you have to picture people saying it, right? So you picture an employee or a receptionist at a desk, an IVR line pickup, you know, thank you for calling short quote or use short quote, and it doesn't work as well. So we ended up naming it Spark, right? Because it is associated with something fast, something memorable, and it was a bit out of the box for a financial services firm, um, but it sure is memorable. We created a visual identity of it. So you really have to go more towards association than description. And then doing a sort of Neolithic new words, right, is hard. I mean, it's, I used an app yesterday called Jeeves that's spelled like J-E-E-V-Z. Um, so some of them are a stretch, memorable, but they have to be easy to pronounce and spell as well. Mm, yeah, for sure. The other one too is, is, you know, doing a quick domain name search and see, can I get that domain name or somebody already had this huge website under this wonderful name you came up with, right? <laughs> yes, that's so important that you mention that. That comes with all of our naming recommend, uh, recommendations. You must do that. Um, some of them you can get for $1,000. Some bigger companies, is this worth 30000 to purchase it? And then you can do variations. You know, we you can do go plus the name, get plus the name. But yes, you must do, domain search needs to be part, you need to do trademark, and domain and then and then see where you end up and it's it's a tough environment but it's doable for sure so for the entrepreneur that's gotten to the place where you know they feel like they finally got their feet under them enough that they're not worried they're going to pay next month's rent um but they really haven't done a lot other than, you know, quote unquote, word of mouth marketing, we won't even go off on that tangent. Um, <laughs> what would be the first thing they should do to really intentionally market their company? Well, I think, you know, we look in, at the world in terms of owned content, earned content, paid content, right? And then shared, right? Which is sort of the viral nature of people sharing your content. I think when you own a business, you're building a company, you really need to look at your own content. And that is your website. And that is your social media pages as an extension of those. I think oftentimes we sort of build it, hope they will come. Um, and then we don't revisit that sort of presence often enough. So I think if you really ensure that on a desktop and on mobile devices that you have optimized everything you can, I think search engine optimization, right? Which is organic search and making sure you rank in Google is a very important long-term strategy, right? So doing just doing a little reading on SEO, you know, there are firms that for nominal fees can just make sure that you are ranking high enough in those search listings. And then your Google My Business listing, right? When someone Googles you, is your local listing coming up? Do you have reviews there? Are you changing content, right? So I think those are really good basics. Making sure that you're growing your traffic organically, making sure your owned content is where, where it should be and working and being updated and then making sure that your Google My Business listing is up to date and you are easily found that way. Then you can layer on, right? Paid social media, Google AdWords, things like that are two areas that I would suggest on sort of that second layer. So what kind of uh, people, what would be your ideal client? If somebody's listening, how can they just say, that's me, that's me. What would be your perfect client to work with? Well, we, we do not specialize in too many areas. We are sort of later stage, sort of bigger, more established companies. Um, so we do growth strategies and we do turnarounds, right? So if there's a company that's sort of taking, going in a different direction, really needs strategy and implementation for that, or they're on a growth trajectory, our typical um, revenue is usually between is 5 million and up. 
Um, and we actually re replace a marketing team in many ways or augment maybe a one or two person team. In this environment, you need to have such diverse skill sets in order to accomplish what you need for marketing that a fractional outsourced team makes sense. And that's how we've been able to grow a company from two to 20 people in four years. And that way you get a little SEO, you get some paid digital, some design, all based on strategy with two people who have been doing marketing on client side for 30 years. Um, so I wish I had sort of more direction, but that's typically um, who we have tended to work with over the last four years. And somebody that has now identified, absolutely, Amy, I want to work with you. How can they get in touch with you? Um, wildcoffeemarketing.com is our website. Um, you can see samples of our work, uh, members of our team, the types of services we offer. And then I'm always findable as Amy Anderson on LinkedIn. And you can just, um, there are a couple of us given <laughs> the generic nature of my name, but I'm associated with Wild Coffee and I'm happy um, to do a quick consultation or have conversations about ways that people want to start to grow their companies. So leave us with some words of inspiration. Let us feel like maybe we can actually get our marketing done. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I, uh, I never thought I would be an entrepreneur, right? And my family circumstance changed and I was raising these two boys on my own and I wanted to be available and I started my own business. Um, I believe that paying attention to your books and getting advice on some sales and um, cash forecasting is really helpful. I would have hired a CFO earlier. Um, but to just continue to look for opportunities and being an entrepreneur is a mindset. You know, it's not a thing. It's not playing a role. It's a mindset where you always believe that you can and that there has to be a better way. And I think if you just continue to, to look at that and ask yourself that, um, you can keep moving forward and grow. Well, and again, your website is wildcoffeemarketing.com. It is. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Amy. Thanks, Steve. What is your marketing strategy? What is the plan that you have to reach people, to wow them, and to make them say, oh, yeah, I want to know that company? What are you doing? What is the plan that you have to have a powerful perception from your clientele, even the ones that are potential, so that when they very first hear of you, they immediately think, I want that company? Or they have it implanted in their brain so that when they then are ready, they will think of you as the company that they want to go to. That is a powerful client perspective. And that is what it means to have a strong marketing strategy. Let's take our first commercial break and we'll be right back here on Thriving Entrepreneur. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet, kind of feeling, go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Schedule a talk with Steve. It's risk-free. It's guaranteed. It's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today as we talk about your powerful potential client perception. What do people think of you even when they very first hear of you? What is the strategy 
for your marketing is what we talked about in the first segment. And now we want to jump into that actual perception element of really presenting ourselves to the client in the way that maximizes who we are and leaves a mark on them with what we're doing in our marketing. I know you're interested in that. So let's jump right into it. Join me in welcoming Angelie Mullins. Hey, Angelie, how are you doing today? Doing really well, Steve. How are you? I am good. Thanks. Tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Sure. So I'm currently the CMO and CGO of Latana. Um, We are a brand tracking and consumer insights company from Berlin. We help companies understand the perception of their key audiences around the world and help them make better marketing decisions, launch into new markets, complete their overall company strategy. And myself, I'm a marketing and commercial leader for starting in finance and then in tech um, and really love, you know, what we're doing at the moment. So what is your very favorite thing about what you get to do all day long? At Latana, we work with some of the biggest brands out there. It's really quite nice to be able to have such leading brands, brands that everyone knows and loves coming to us. And we really get to help them strategize about who their core audience is, you know, how they should put together their campaigns, what countries they should launch in. And it's really nice because these brands are ones that, you know, we buy every day or that we use every day. So you really feel like you're helping to make an impact in the business community. Now then do you, does your company work with smaller brands as well, or do you only exclusively work with those big fortune 100, fortune 500 type of companies? That's a really good question. We actually work with all sizes of companies. We really like to focus on mid-size companies. Um, so companies that are growing in the market, of course, we do work with larger ones, but the majority of the business that we have currently is actually mid-size brands that are growing. Perfect. So what's it typically like? You know, I mean, a lot of people, they're either running their own marketing or they have a small group that they've worked with and you know what's it like to move in and work with a company as huge as you guys what it's like so a lot of marketing and brand leaders come to us and they've never done brand tracking before they might have done a lot of performance marketing campaigns or branding campaigns or even social listening share of voice but they've never done core brand tracking and what i mean by this is What's the perception, you know, of their audience? You know, what is that awareness level? How does their, you know, awareness look down the brand funnel? And so this is when they're coming to us and they're really saying, help us, you know, understand our customers, our audiences. So it really starts with an education overview, you know, of what brand tracking is, um, how it's beneficial, how it really is complementary to performance marketing and also social listening. And after we go through the education piece, then they start to dive into their particular use case. And so we start to dive in a little bit about, you know, like I said, if they are launching into a new market, if they have a new strategy, if even they're launching a new product, and they start to talk to us about that. And that's where we get to begin helping them. So let me ask you completely unfair, take the days, weeks, months, years that you spend teaching people what brand tracking even means and help us understand it here in the next couple of minutes. Oh, wow. Um, So in the marketing space, there are different ways that you can understand a performance of a campaign or any type of activity. So a lot of us have heard of Google Analytics before. It's widely used, you know, amongst many marketeers. And the idea is, is that they would put a campaign out into the universe and they would get specific data back. How many people clicked, how many people opened, if it's an email campaign, for example, um, or how many people converted, depending on its e-commerce or if it's a B2B SaaS type of solution. Then you have something else called share of voice, social listening. So you think of everything out there in social platforms, Twitter, et cetera. And let's say you wanted to do a campaign on sustainability you would start to look for hashtag sustainability associated with your company, and you're trying to see what that share voice is across social platforms. The issue, though, is that a lot of marketing and brand leaders don't understand what the contextual perception is of their brand. What do we mean? Do people think that your brand is progressive, conservative, 
Um, whether it's for young people, if it's for you know students, this is the type of perception. Also about brand awareness. How many people are aware of your brand? whether it's aided or unaided, and what does that look like down the brand funnel, preference and considerations. So these are the type of things that we help to uncover. And it's actually really interesting, Steve, because a lot of marketing and brand leaders think that consumers have a certain belief about their brand. And then once they start to uncover the consumer insights with Latana, they realize that sometimes that perception from their audience can be completely different. Sounds really interesting because, I mean, my immediate thought is how many companies really actually understand what people actually think about them? Very few <laughs> would be the real <laughs> answer. A lot of people, you know, they really do this inside of their own companies. They create their own personas, create their own go-to-market strategy, and then they project that out into the world. And really the way it should be done is the other way around. You should be talking to your customers, understanding their needs, understanding what that perception is, and then using that data to feed into your own strategy. Okay, so warn me if I take a total left turn at Albuquerque on you, on you here, but I had a thought, um, and I'm curious if, if you can answer this for me. Um, you know, often in marketing, we start off with an ideal client, an avatar, you know, this is who we think we're going to go to. Um, do you recommend not starting there or do you still start there and then you morph that avatar or how does that progression look? So I would still morph that. I mean, we would basically call that a customer persona. So I would definitely start with one hypothesis of what a customer persona could be or what you think it would be. But then the idea with brand tracking, brand awareness is to really match that to particular markets. So I'll give you an example. In today's environment, there's a lot of quick delivery, quick commerce companies um, delivering your groceries, delivering your dinner. You can think of in the United States, for example, DoorDash might be a good example of this. Now they might have different brand awareness in different cities or different regions, you know, around a particular market and the way they would go to market in one city might be different than another. That's a small example, or you can take that to a larger um, example of different countries. So if you're a business and you are going to market in the US, but then you also are gonna go to market into the UK or into Australia, for example, you want to understand what the brand perception is in those markets and how they might be different. And that will definitely you know, have an effect on what your go-to-market is, what your marketing strategy is, and a lot of times you know, what you're spending, the campaigns, your target audience as well. I think of the old story that I heard about the Chevy Nova, the car, um, and when they went to Spanish-speaking markets, where the word no boss means it doesn't go and they didn't understand why the car wouldn't, wouldn't sell. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the insights that we provide are so much more intricate. So really zoning in on the type of consumer, what their preferences are, segmentation by demographics, age, education, income. So the example that I always give is um, a company, it was a very well-known pet food company that had come to us and they said, okay, we, you know, want to really hone in on women because we think that they're driving, you know, purchases with these particular type of dogs. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, how are we going to get this information? But um, through our mobile optimized survey technology, we're able to do it. And, you know, really diving in, they wanted to know women of a particular age in New York City with particular types of dogs you know, what their propensity is and, you know, kind of what their audience um, perception was. So this is how deep uh, we can really get. And even within the industry, we're now looking to start doing daily tracking, which will be amazing. It's not launched yet, but it's something that we're doing. So if you think of continuous tracking on a daily basis of your core audience and consumers, I mean, it, it's amazing what you'll be able to do with that kind of information. Wow, yeah, that's huge. Can a little company um, pay you a fee to have you run the AI software and give them, 
you know, some insights that are on a low end or do you have to be at a certain price point to even make it work? Definitely, you know, small to medium-sized businesses can definitely start with us. And, you know, like I said, that actually is the majority of our customer base. The reason for that is because if you think of, you know, like a McDonald's or an Ikea or any of these large, large companies, they have teams and teams of people, you know, that are doing that for them. And a lot of times you don't really need to track the brand awareness of McDonald's for example, because it's everywhere and everybody knows. So a lot of times it is these smaller to medium-sized companies that start with us, you know, they come to us and they don't have any idea of what brand tracking is. We go through that process with them and usually we grow with them as they grow, you know, as, as they grow as a company. So it's really nice to be able to work with a lot of these companies. They start small, they start working with us, they continue to grow. And we've seen many companies, like I said, grow into different cities, into different markets, different business lines even, and we're able to help them every step of the way. So for a starter package, generally speaking, um, you know, what is a person looking at to, to get started with a company like yourself? You know, that's, it's a complicated question because our, our software, it's not, most staff software, for example, is priced good, better, best, and it's very straightforward. Because of what we offer, everything is so customized to the customer, the type of KPIs and segmentation, et cetera. To give a ballpark, I would say anywhere on the very basics between five and 10K, on the very, very basics. Um, and then you can basically move on from there. But just to get started, I think that would be a probably a decent ballpark. Okay. Um, and what kind of, uh, what is that first initial report? You know, you do that, that level of research for them. What are they going to expect to get back that first time? Again, we're talking generally speaking here. Sure. Actually, what our software is, is it's a completely customizable dashboard. So it's not even a standardized report that you're getting. You're getting access to a dashboard that has all the data in it. And then you as the marketeer, branding leader, you can actually go in there and customize every single aspect of that dashboard. So let's say you're giving a major presentation and you only really want to show one market or particular segments, et cetera, or you want to show the data monthly, quarterly, you can basically just customize your dashboard that way. So it's actually much more intuitive and much more usable than a standard report. Mm, wow, I love that. So for the person that's listening, um, I mean, I think we've identified that pretty much if you're listening, you could do it. Um, how would they start um, in a conversation with you to begin to engage with you to work for them? Sure. So just go to latana.com. You can look at all of our information. You can go to book a demo. One of our sales individuals will have a really nice conversation with you and go over your specific use case. Because in the business of consumer insights, it's all about the specifics, all about the individual use cases. And then you'll get much more of an idea um, people can also reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect people um, and give more information, but it, it's very simple, straightforward. And the one thing that clients love about us is it's very easy to use. Before we go, um, give us some words of inspiration about brand tracking and how much it can help you reach the people you're meant to reach in this world. Sure. So, I mean, the reason that brand tracking has started to become really the big thing in the marketing universe is because it allows you to have that context above and beyond typical data and KPIs. The previous 10 years has all been about return on investment, return on spend, hard KPIs. That is always going to be needed. But the problem is that marketing and brand leaders don't have that context What's the awareness? What does that mean to my audience? If I make a certain, you know, mover, you know, move a certain marketing lever, what impact will that have on the perception? If I'm putting together a major brand or strategy launch, is this going to resonate with my audience? And so we're doing all of this in the grand scheme of trying to answer that age-old question of what is my brand worth? This is the one area of marketing that has not yet been fully solved. So again, you know, a lot of the reasons that customers come to us 
they're putting together branding campaigns. They've already done performance marketing, you know, social listening, and they really need an added layer of contextual data points. They want to understand, you know, what their audience thinks about them so that they can put together the right strategy and marketing approach. So it's becoming much, much more valuable. And this is actually becoming the first line um, of data and context that marketing and branding leaders want to acquire when it comes to a strategy. Angela, thank you so much. That's really so cool. I really appreciate having you here on the show with us here today. Thanks, Steve. Nice to be here. How does your key audience perceive you? What is the perception that you've already created out in the marketplace so that when people need what you do, they immediately think of you because you've left them with a powerful perception of you even before they became your client? Do you do that intentionally? Does it happen as a matter of you just showing up in the world? Do you have a plan for that? Or are you just hoping that someday you reach that point? We all know that if you fail the plan, you plan to fail. So let's really look at our powerful client perception. What will the potential clients see when they look at us? And how can we create that perception with our key audience so that we can be a thriving entrepreneur and make the difference that only you can make in this world. We'll be right back. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity, and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far, and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling, go to yourbesttellertoday.com, schedule a talk with Steve. It's risk-free, it's guaranteed, it's proven, we've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbesttellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve, reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now, what are you waiting for? Grab a pen, here we go. All you gotta do is book a call, yourbesttellertoday.com. Go to yourbesttellertoday.com Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. We're talking about your powerful potential client perception. What do people think of you even before they've become clients? What kind of impact have you already began to make in the world from the very beginning? That's powerful marketing strategy. We've talked about your marketing strategy in general. We've talked about your perception with your key audience. And now we want to talk about that most or exceptionally important aspect of it as well. And that's doing all of that powerfully. How can you show up powerfully to the world? Are you ready to hear about that one? Well, then let's jump right in. Join me in welcoming Sean Castorina. Hey, Sean, how are you doing today? I'm doing exceptionally well. Great. I'm glad to hear it. So tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Well, uh, you know, I kind of lost my dream job, went to grad school, had my dream job in D.C., and then overnight, there was pretty much a leadership change, got let go. Knew right then that I would never work for anybody again, I, only unless I was going to position myself to, to own that company. I basically knew I would never just be a long, a, a, you know, a long-term employee anywhere. And so I started starting companies, been rinsing and repeating that for probably nearly 30, 25 years, and I've written a few, you know, four books about it. And Post the 10 minute entrepreneur podcast, which is a top 50, you know, podcast for entrepreneurs. So yeah, I'm kind of addicted to being an entrepreneur. So it's interesting you bring up starting and then ending companies, because I think a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we get stuck with our company, like it's our baby and we don't want to let it leave the nest. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. there And there are times, I mean, I have 
a company, you know, my, my biggest holding company is, is I've had for 23 years, but it's constantly evolving. And, and, you know, it's sometimes like taking care of a tree or, or a bush, you have to prune, you have to get rid of what, what's, you know, what's dead. And, and, and the business has to be evolving. I mean, if your business, you know, looks like it did 20 years ago, that would be bad anyway. So yeah, there's sometimes you have to sell it, you know, it's it sometimes it's better in someone else's hands. And then sometimes the company that you have should be constantly evolving and being pruned in such a way that it doesn't look like the company you started anyway. Mm, really good point. How do we, how do we make that decision between I'm showing up excellently in the world and I'm, you know, just comfortable. Yeah. And I think, and unfortunately, I think that can develop into almost a personality type. We, you know, I have roommates in college that, you know, I don't ask them what they make for a living, but I have a pretty good idea. Um, just because some people just get comfortable. They, they really are because if they're comfortable, they don't have to press. To, to, to live at an extraordinary level requires pressing. It requires being uncomfortable. It requires achieving some level of competency at, at an extraordinary level. So, so it's easier to just be comfortable. And by doing that, you just say, well, I'm comfortable maybe with this house I'm in. I'm comfortable in this car. And, and I'm saying being materialistic, but the real reason why you're comfortable is because you're not willing to do what it takes to be uncomfortable and, and, and all the other things. So I, I hear a lot of piety sometimes with people when they, when they talk about, you know, well, I'm just, you know, I'm really content. I go, no, you're really just lazy. It has nothing to do with contentment. I'm content. <laughs> I, I'm content in all situations, but I'm, but I'm always, you know, wanting to maximize, you know, the potential I have as long as I'm breathing oxygen. Mm. So, so powerful and true. So, I mean, the other side of that circumstance is the person who is constantly starting new companies and having them fail and they never really hit success. Is there a secret that they don't know that you know that could help them actually yeah. have a successful company? Yeah. Number one is, is that you're, you're probably starting businesses that excite you businesses that are trendy, businesses that you love, they're like mistresses, okay? You don't start a business because you like whatever it, it is. It does. Like example, I love playing golf. Doesn't mean I go out and buy a golf course or a driving range or a top golf. Just because I like something doesn't mean I think it's a good business or I think it's a good business maybe in the area that I am, that I'm in. So the number one thing that I find, you know, I kind of like a Bermuda Triangle that kills businesses. Number one is, the entrepreneur starts a business that they like. They love the idea. It sounds good to them in their head. Their friends say, oh, Johnny, you can do it. That's a great idea. But they don't beta test it. And they really don't know whether there's a wanting audience for it. That is the number one reason why businesses fail. I mean, I, I, they just start from day one without a wanting audience. The second thing is, is that they're typically staffed from day one with family and friends. And so, you know, there's just a lack of talent underneath the tent. And number three is some people that think they're entrepreneurs are not. I used to do seminars when I first started writing books and I, I'd have wannabe entrepreneurs in the room. And then I had to stop doing it because they would want me to coach them on being entrepreneurs. And I'd be like, I can't, I, I, I can't make you an entrepreneur. Like you don't have it. And I, I could tell in minutes, in minutes, I'm not saying I'm always right, but it's like, you know, a football coach who's, you know, goes to the NFL draft and he's looking for an offensive lineman. Well, guess what? He knows everybody under 260 pounds is not going to cut it. You know, you know, he can look across the room and go, not just not big enough, just not big enough. You may want to do it. There might be a position for you, but it's not offensive lineman. You know, and, you know, entrepreneurship is, is a unique, you know, profession. You have to have extraordinary resilience. You have to have, you know, it's, you know, leadership. You got to be able to attract talent. You got to be able to communicate. You got to be able to cast a vision. You typically need to be the best salesperson in your business for the first couple of years because um, you're always not so much you're selling your product, but you're always hiring people and, and trying to attract talent and trying to attract contractors to help you and, you know, and, and so many different things. So, Again, I think somebody, you know, it sounds cool to say you're an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. 
And then I said, well, how much money did you make last year? And then all of a sudden, you know, they're not all, all excited about sharing that. So I, I, unfortunately, I think we say entrepreneur and a lot of times it's, it's for the person who just jumps from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And, and you kind of mentioned that. And I think it's like being a surgeon, being an entrepreneur, there is a skill set for it. It's a really great question. A lot of people struggle with, and maybe these are the people that are exactly like what you're just talking about, but they struggle with really truly knowing who they are. And so then they're always trying to figure out what should they do? What advice would you have to a person like that? I tell people, get a job, start with a job, excel at a job. You, you know, it's, it, it, Tim Cook, uh, you know, Steve Ballmer, Sharon Sandberg. I mean, these were, these are all three employees that are all billionaires. You can be a valuable employee and, and, and just help someone build their company. And, and typically there'll be a position where you can transition off at some point, or you can leverage your being a great employee to being a partner in that company. There's nothing that says you have to start a company. That's fine. But you can also start out as just being an extraordinary good employee. And then you can learn what it takes to run a company. I think, you know, actually working for a company within the industry that you're fascinated by is never a bad step, number one. That's a great suggestion. Uh, I've heard so many people that just struggle with feeling like they have to jump, like they've already gotten pushed off the cliff and they have to, rather than seeing the possibilities in their life. Yeah, I never quit a job to start a company. I stayed at my job while I did both. Um, you know, I had to, you know, take on a couple jobs, you know, as I made transitions, but I, I never just said, oh, I got a great business idea. I'm going to go quit my job tomorrow. I did both. I negotiated my schedule. I negotiated my pay based on production. I found a lot of creative ways to be able to keep my job so that bills were paid. And then I could build my company, you know, at the same time. So I, I always did both. Brings up another good point. You know, you talk about having started another company. Is that same applied to another company? So you hang on to the company until you've got I, the other one? Yeah. And I have multiple. I mean, now I have, you know, nine, ten. I mean, I have more than 10 companies. So, yeah, I don't I never hold on to one. I don't want to own just one stock. You know, that what happens if like yesterday you, know, you have one stock in it and, and you have a downturn. If you're an entrepreneur, you're kind of like an addict. You're, you're always looking for the next thing. And that next thing in a healthy situation could be within the ecosystem of what you're already doing. You typically don't want to start something that's complete left turn from something you've already done that you kind of understand how it works. Example, if I own, you know, you watch Guy Fieri, I think that's how you say his name, but he owns restaurants because cooking and everything within food is in his, his strike zone. You don't necessarily see him doing things outside of that. You know, you, you, you typically have something, an industry or something that you understand and you keep building, like it's like a snowball and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that means maybe you're adding new divisions. Maybe you're starting a complementary company that does services that niche more than what you're offering. There, there's so many ways of doing it. Um, but you're, to me, you're always looking to keep doing something that creates, that fortifies your holdings. So with all the great information you've given us, Sean, now there's everybody listening wants to work with you. So let's help them clarify a little bit. What kind of people, first of all, do you work with? I mean, I think number one is entrepreneur. You know, we, we you know, if you go to seancastrina.com, we give you a free book and we do a free coaching call every month anyway. So it's all free. So everything I'm talking about today is free and free. Um, I, I think if you go back and listen to some of my podcasts, there are entrepreneurs have a, there's a DNA. They're typically, they're, they have a little bit more risk tolerance, not that they take, I don't believe in taking dumb risks, risks. I believe in calculated risks. They generally have very good energy. I'm saying predominantly good communication skills. Uh, they're very competitive, you know, very tenacious. 
I mean, as a general rule, if you look at them, you know, I'm a good Bill, you know, Bill Gates and Elon Musk can keep going down the line. I mean, you see some repetitiveness in, in these characteristics. Bill Gates never took a day off in his 20s, not one day ever. Um, so you have to have that level of resilience that I, that I think is important. And, you know, if you, if you again, if you go to SeanCastorino.com, you'll get a free uh, digital copy of one of my books. And you'll get invited to this coaching call every month. And you'll kind of hear the formulas that I use. Like one real thing, if I threw something out to you, like super quick, there's only three things in business. This is something you'd learn in that call. All you do in business is three things. If you get good at these three things, you'll be really wealthy. If you stink at any of these, you'll be out of business. Number one is you attract customers. Number two is you sell customers. Number three is you fulfill whatever it is you sold. That would be an example. So I'll beat down on that in a coaching call. We, you know, each branch of that over a few months and things like that. I mean, business is not rocket science, but if you don't understand it, it's going to be really hard to be good at it. Hmm. That was so uh, simple to say, difficult to do for many and so powerful. I really appreciate that, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be on the podcast. I appreciate yeah. the invitation. Absolutely. Well, thanks for being here with us again. It is Sean Castorina. That's S-E-A-N-C-A-S-T-R-I-N-A.com um, and or Sean Castorina on, it looks like all the different social yeah, I'm medias. On, yeah, I'm verified on IG. I own the Weekend MBA. You can go to the weekendmba.com, but seancastorina.com or the 10 Minute Entrepreneur Podcast. Well, Sean, I really appreciate you being here on the show with us here today. Great. Thank you so much. How do you show up powerfully to those people that you want to reach, to those people you know you're meant to serve? You know, the ones that only you can make the difference in their life. The ones that are the reason why you created the company to begin with. Those people you know you want to reach. I want to encourage you on a couple of aspects in that. And number one is, if you made the difference in just even one person's life, how amazing would that be to know that you really truly helped somebody really truly thrive in their life in their business in their pursuits in life how great would that be to know that you really impacted somebody and how worthwhile would it be to just focus on that to make your life's mission your business's goal to be the next person that you're going to reach you know yes absolutely the people that you are already reaching but when it comes to our marketing aspect rather than trying to change the whole world what could we do to just make this world a better place for that one person how could we do that how could we do that powerfully how can we create a perception for them so that they automatically say oh I want more to do with those people. I want to be in a space where I can work with them. You know, if you're a coach, that's the thing you want more than anything else. Even if the people can't join with you right now, you want to be the thing that they're aspiring to so that you can help them out. But no matter what your business does, from the smallest penny thing all the way up to multi-million dollar projects, you want to show up powerfully for them and be that thing they want because you are uniquely brilliant. You were created for a purpose and the world, ugh, the world does need you. I wanna thank you for showing up powerfully in this world, for doing the thing that only you can do, for making the difference in the world while it's called today, for having a powerful potential client perception in all that you do and for the time you spent with me here today. Until we're together again next time, I hope that you have a great week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs>
<laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling, go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Schedule a talk with Steve. It's risk-free. It's guaranteed. It's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. You are-